Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hello and welcome to the Women in Manufacturing Podcast. My name is Fran Bernal, and I'm the president of Accelerated Manufacturing Brokers, Inc., a company that specializes in mergers and acquisitions nationally within the manufacturing sectors, and I'm your host for today's show. Today, we welcome to the show Elizabeth Paquette. Liz is the co-owner of Rock Valley Tool, a 50-year-old manufacturing company in East Hampton, Massachusetts. Liz left a special education career to acquire RVT with her husband, who is the operations manager. Since their acquisition in 2013, they've grown the company over 50%, and they've acquired another manufacturing company. They continue to seek growth through acquisition. Liz, we're so glad for you to join us today. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. We're so thrilled that you could join us. What I'd like you to do, if you don't mind, is please introduce our listeners to Rock Valley Tool. How did you start and what do you specialize in? Well, so Rock Valley Tool is a small to medium-sized machine shop in Western Massachusetts. We started in 2013 when my husband and I purchased an existing company that focused primarily on blow mold extrusion as well as aerospace and defense. We currently are doing the same type of work, but we've added pharmaceuticals, medical device parts, and we have grown the defense and aerospace section as well as the blow mold extrusion. And in terms of growing the aerospace piece is we have added ground materials that you would see on an airports. So that's been our newest addition. Wonderful. One of the things I was so looking forward to talking to you about is you guys have done some amazing things as far as working with the community and schools. You know, I always say that everyone complains about the skills gap, but few people do something about it. And you're actually doing something about it in a big way. Speak into that a little bit for our listening audience. So for us, education is such a big deal. And obviously coming from an education background, I hold that to be, you know, just the highest standard for us. We need to be constantly growing our current staff and bringing on new staff. So to do that, the best way really is to just education. So we are partnered with several of the vocational and technical schools at the high school level in the region and take on kids who do co-op. That meaning they typically will go half time to school and half time into the workforce. From there, we also extend out to the community colleges, three of which are local to us, one being a technical and the other being community colleges, we have connections in there. One of the big connections is that I sit on a manufacturer's roundtable for the Franklin Hampshire side of it, and then in constant contact with the other Western side into Hampton County. Additionally, we sit on a board for one of the technical high schools so we can be part of the development of that programming. 
And then in-house, we currently run a training program that we did not talk about when we did meet, where I have departments are broken up and they do, and this is mainly for our folks who are coming in relatively green to the field, they more senior employees run a training group where they start at basics. So it brings everyone to the same level and stay on the same page. And that seems to have been well-received, in my opinion. Additionally, any free trainings that are offered through Mass Hire, which is a program in Western Mass, I believe, probably into Central and Eastern, but I'm more privy to the Western part, we sign people up as much as possible to these free classes where it is appropriate. And those trainings include inspection, basic machining, math, you know, just leadership is a new one that they've brought out this year, I feel like. And then additionally, we also work with our HR outside company and they offer trainings. So the trainings there could include HR trainings, which primarily I would be the one to attend. And then additionally, they do offer leadership trainings where we have sent a number of employees who have shown interest in that to these trainings. So we pay for that. We also offer tuition reimbursement for anybody who chooses to go off into college or they want to take classes that they come across that cost money. We do reimbursement based on grade. I guess is the best way to say that. So if you get an A, I pay 100%. What happens if they're, say, a D or a C minus? What happens? That payment would fall on them. And the reason that I feel that's important is that if you're not investing in the classroom or into the class and investing in yourself, I just, I don't know how I can invest in you if you're not there to do the work. Sure, that makes perfect sense. And we haven't come across that yet. It's been the people that go typically are very serious about furthering their education and furthering their skill set. So, I mean, there is, you know, a monetary piece to that too. The better you become, you make more money. Yeah, absolutely. The reality, you know. So, a few things I want to ask you about. So, first, you're doing a whole bunch of different things, different types of programs you're involved in. But one of the first ones you said is getting kids while they're still in high school and introducing them into the industry through like a work program where they're, I guess, working half a day. Is that what it looks like? So, we deal with a couple different programs. So it depends on the school. The most typical way that the schools address co-op opportunities for kids is they do one full week on in school and then one full week on in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So you would get a student for say 40 hours a week. Okay. And it's it comes out to part-time. Another program that is relatively newer compared to some of the older ones, they do a half day half day at school, half day at work. And we have found we do prefer that option because when the kids get a week off, it's almost like they have to be reintroduced when they come back in. When they get to come every week, they get a really good groove. So you see a quicker pickup, but we take both. I mean, currently we do have a young man who is a senior and he does one week on, one week off. 
He's been with us since October 5th, and he's fantastic. He's picked up quickly. We're looking after the holidays to move him into another department so he doesn't get stagnant. You know, he's young, so he should be exposed and really seeing what's going to be a good fit for him. It's his time to explore. So we will train him in another department and see how that goes. But as I said, he's fantastic. And we have two other gentlemen. One we picked up, I want to say, ironically, right when COVID hit, he was willing to still come work and he's worked out well. And he was doing the half days every week and he's now full-time employee and he's fantastic. So we've lucked out in the last few years. We additionally have someone else who has been full-time and now is going on to the community college that we did get from a co-op program. And he, again, is fantastic. It's not always that way. I think it's, you know, individual too, if the kids have some drive or they're, you know, maybe realizing it's not for them to be in machining. It might not work out so well, but so far I have three individuals that we have gotten in the last two years that it's amazing. Well, it sounds like it's not perfect, but you have more benefit than not in participating in these programs. One other thing I wanted to ask you, you use the term bringing people in who were green to the field. And my impression was, as you were saying that, that it wasn't necessarily school-age kids, but adults. Would that be correct? It is correct. So when kids come in anyways, they're green. So we know that. So we give them a certain kind of training. The other piece is that we have had luck in machining where I mean, I'll give a couple examples. So right now I have someone in shipping and she was laid off from Pottery Barn where she did their shipping. She, you know, still is learning and still is training, but she didn't, you know, she has to learn all these parts, their codes or computer system, but she's been able to come in and do shipping. So she, to me, is green. She even ran a machine production work when we first hired her. So she's green. She didn't did not have any experience in machining. We have a gentleman who's been with us over 10 years now. He did not go to a vocational school. He went to a typical high school and just is really handy handy, he's mechanically inclined. So we taught him and he's worked out well. So we will take people sometimes it's based on what their interest is. Our inspection manager He came from Harley-Davidson. He ran their parts department and inspecting motorcycles and just really needed a change from what he was doing. He'd get laid off every winter for obvious reasons in New England. Not many people are on their motorcycles right now. So he wanted something more consistent. And through word of mouth, we hired him as an inspector and he has grown and takes classes at our you know, local technical community college and any trainings that come along, he's always on them. And now he's our inspection manager. So, and that he's green, in my opinion. And he's all about us. I love that you're taking like really a non-traditional approach to solving the skills gap problem. You're pulling people in that, you know, are green, that they've never been in manufacturing before. It's interesting, you know, I work nationally and 
you know, I said before, a lot of people complain about this skills gap. Few people do things about it, right? But I, you know, I have customers, clients, and buyers from all over the country. And people are having success with this method where they're bringing people in, they're from other industries, and they're kind of letting, is provided that they show work ethic, they're letting, they're exposing people to the different, like one shop, expose them to EDM, expose them to CNC machining, expose them to lathe work, you know, and let the person kind of gravitate to what they were naturally going to gravitate to. And as a result of this, they have excellent workers who love what they do and have been with them for more than a decade. The other thing I hear a lot is owners don't want to necessarily sometimes hire someone from the industry because sometimes they come with bad habits. You know, they rather train them from scratch. Let's move on. So obviously you guys are totally nailing it with the education aspect. Let's move to the business aspect of Rock Valley Tool. How has what you do and the technologies that you use changed over time? So, I mean, technology obviously is something that's constantly changing. And it's important, I think... You know, I think back when we first bought the business, this will be, you know, make it kind of a quick recap. We, the first year of owning, we coasted. Everything stayed as is. And it was a way to get our feet under us and see, okay, can we be sustainable as we are? And the next year we saw that we really, and it came because our two largest customers were very slow at the moment. So they slowed down and that meant we were slowing down. So it really scared us in a sense that, okay, we need to figure this out. We need to pivot and get ahead of it. And how do we get new customers or even growing those current customers? And part of that we found after a trial and error was that you wanted to be the place a customer is going to call and say, not only do I need you to run this part, but I need you to laser etch it and I need you to grind it. I need you to, you know, heat treat it, do all these different things that we weren't doing. We would have to outsource that. But if you do it in-house, it's faster. We get a quicker turnaround. So over the past about eight years almost, we or seven years, we added machinery like laser machines. We have two of them currently, and we're looking at a third one that's even larger to entertain larger pieces when they come in. We have taken on extra heat treating systems by purchasing ovens so we can do heat treating in-house for smaller projects where we once had to send everything out and wait on that. We have a small welding department that we did not have before, so we can weld together mostly for our blow mold side, but weld things together as needed in-house instead of sending out. Just those things really made a difference, I feel like, with many customers. The laser etching, huge deal because we can get that done the minute the part's done. We can go get them laser etched where before you're sending it out and you're waiting and you're paying extra for that. Now we just have someone that we pay to do that. And it It really just works out 
in that sense. We've added, you know, technology changing. We needed new inspection equipment. We needed systems alone for inspection. They did not exist as much when we bought the business, but it's changed so much that a lot more things need to be inspected than I feel like they did before. So it's just trying to stay on top of it. We've purchased, I want to say at least off the top of my head, 10 new machines throughout the shop since buying the shop. And buying that additional company, it was small, but it added another six machines to our shop, plus a different skill set with the employees that came with them, as well as the work that came with them. It's funny how many companies needing manufacturing services want a one-stop shop which you it seems like through acquisition of equipment and in one case a different machine shop you've really expanded your offerings and it's you know people are really afraid to do that but it you know the one thing you talked about was controlling the time that you have quicker turnaround time mm-hmm. but i'm sure your margins increased And I'm betting your quality control increased as well, because you're looking at a product from beginning to end and controlling the entire process. Yes. And I mean, that's an issue that we face is that when certain projects are given to another shop to do those final touches on, there are times that the pieces are coming back and they're not, you know, what they need to be. Mm -hmm. So it is, there is a nice control factor that we then don't have to problem solve someone else's mistake. And yeah, yeah, so we get to control that. Fabulous. Talk about your tooling providers and what those relationships look like. Our tooling providers. So we work with, I want to say three main companies and each company that we work with, It's nice that we have, you know, we're on a first name basis and we have a contact. So if there's an issue, we have a contact. And I feel the people that we work with, I mean, I don't know if this is really answering the question, but I like that long-term relationship. I like that we can shoo a text or a quick call to someone and say, hey, we really need this or we have this tooling, but is there something better that we can use? I think, I mean, we're really lucky, I feel, that we have people that have been really great and really wanting to work with us. So it sounds like you've really developed partnerships with the tooling providers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's great. So one of the things I'm, you know, because of what I do for a living, I'm particularly interested in is the fact that you guys acquired another business for many small manufacturers the thought of doing that scares the crap out of them. Sure right? does. <laughs> yeah. You know, talk to us a little bit about the thought process that led you to start looking and how you overcame the fear of doing this and the benefits that the company has received as a result of making the acquisition. So I'll start with when we bought Rock Valley Tool. When it was presented to me, my response was, you know, we have this one chance and we might not see this kind of chance again. So why not just do it? The worst case scenario is it doesn't work out. We're okay then. That's okay. That's your biggest risk is that it's not going to work out. Right. 
So as time, you know, as we were trying to think of what other areas can we get into, how can we get new customers, it is really challenging. You can't just call anyone anymore and say, or do a cold call. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants people just showing up at their business looking to do business with you. It's just, I don't even want that when I'm there. When I'm there, I have things I'm supposed to do. So if you don't have a meeting, I don't want to do that meeting. Mm -hmm. So we started to really think maybe it's time to look at other businesses. So maybe five years ago, we started with an outside agency called The Van Group. And what they do is they look at finding you businesses that you might be interested in buying. So we had looked at some point, you know, I got the FFL license for firearms and we were thinking about buying this really small shop in Western Mass that made gun parts. And we thought, well, this would be a quick little one that we could add, but their business was really not in a good way. And so we would have been acquiring no work with it, just their machinery, which wasn't desirable by any means. So we just continued. They kept presenting us shops and we would, you know, yay or nay, if that was something we wanted to get into or if looking at their financials, that's not going to be a good fit for us. Mm -hmm. We also work obviously very closely with our accountant and our lawyer to determine that as well, because they can see things that I probably cannot. And this shop that we end up purchasing out of Belchertown, they... It just had all the components that we really wanted. They had machinery that we didn't have. They had customers. For example, they do work or we do work now with Callaway Golf and quite a lot of work. We never did work in the golf industry before. So it opened up that door. And since we've been able to grow because we have more capability than that shop had on its own. So with that shop, for me, there's that fear piece I I suppose a little bit, but I go with that train of thought that at the end of the day, I just want the least amount of what ifs. So let's just buy it. And if it doesn't work out with the customers, we know at least that the machinery alone was worth the buy is how I felt. Excellent. Okay. And we're currently looking at, we have the same group. We rehired them again to start looking some more. And in the new year, he has a couple options already for us. So it just, you know, keep going till you don't want to go anymore. Sure. Well, I love that, you know, as you began to look at these different shops for acquisition, you know, it sounds like you had a plan to diversify a customer base, diversify equipment. You were seeking through acquisition what you didn't have in-house. I think people sometimes make a mistake that more of the same is better. And that's not always the case. No. No. And has the diversification helped you at all through the COVID pandemic? It has. So you and I had discussed that a little bit last time. And I thought, let me like really look at, you know, our what that actually looks like, what we've gotten from acquiring the new business. And I think we would... And I don't just think, I know that we would be in a very different position had we not bought that business. Not that we've had like great amount of work from them, but we've had enough to keep people employed. So that actually is important, I believe. Because I want to say two of the businesses continued to send us work. It was on a small scale, but by fall, we've seen a really big uptick 
from both. Cause I want to, I even think early summer, I thought we're not getting anything from buying that company. And then by now we're busy with two of the customers that stayed on when we bought. So that's a big deal to me. Sure. There was one other thing that you said. So I love that you guys sought to grow through acquisition. I commend you for that. So few small manufacturing companies do that. There was one other thing that you said the last time we spoke that is so simple, but so few people do it. And that was the fact that when you acquired the company, you went to the existing customers and simply said, how else can we help you? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, right? It's so simple, but it, it always amazes me how much people don't do that. Talk about that a little bit and how relationship with existing customers changed after you guys made the acquisition. So if we look at that second year of owning the business where things really slowed down and we had the concern we were trying, you know, sale calls and sale emails and really trying to get new business in. We had temporarily hired someone who he had owned his own business at some point. He came in and was reaching out to customers and did get us in with, you know, a couple local customers and the work was stuff that we could do, but it really wasn't enjoyable to do. It was very difficult stuff that their machinists did not want to do, they didn't want to deal with. So we were dealing with all their headaches. And so we were so busy with all this headache work. And we just couldn't wrap our brains around like, what are we doing wrong? What can we do different than what we're currently doing? Because we don't like this work we're taking. And I would like to not take it. So New Year's Day, my husband and I, who's my business partner, we always have this conversation about what our goals are for the year and what our work goals are. What is this, the company goals? And in discussing it, we just were, it was so simple and an aha moment. Well, why don't we start calling our contacts at these businesses and ask, what can we do to grow this business for you? What else can we do for you? And it really, say with our largest blow mold customer, they're down South and they said, you know, We want to visit. Can you come down to Atlanta? So down we go to Atlanta and we come back up with new projects, new blueprints. It just was that conversation about what else can we do? And it was just so simple. We went up north to our biggest aerospace customer and said the same thing. And we eventually with them over the course of a few years bought three CNC machines that were solely added to what we already had to run their production. So where once upon a time, we maybe had two to four machines running, we were up to, I think, eight machines running just for their parts. And it was all having an in-person conversation after we talked on the phone. So very simple. You know what? And it's, it's so funny because we live in an age where people don't want to talk face-to-face. They want to email and that personal touch is still what gets it done, right? I think so. I would stand by that. So Liz, we're starting to run out of time here and I want to give you an opportunity to tell our listeners how to reach you if they have questions about Rock Valley Tool and your services. So you're able to reach me if you have any questions or want to know any more information 
about us, you could go to www.rockvalleytool.com. And there is, besides having a big write-up about the business, there's also links to reach me directly. And, or you could just email me at epaquette at rockvalleytool.com. Perfect. Liz, thanks so much for being with us today. You covered a lot of great topics that I have no doubt our listening audience will benefit from. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. I'd like to encourage our listeners to visit www.whampodcast.com where you can listen to all of our shows and other manufacturing podcasts brought to you by the Jacket Media Company. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for joining the Wham! Podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.